The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champions. Welcome, everybody, to the Quintessential Podcast. Quint Kesnick with this week's guest, Scott Marr, the head coach at Albany of the Great Danes, uh, former classmate and teammate of mine at Johns Hopkins, uh, former Yorktown Cornhusker as well. <laughs> Scotty, good yeah. to see you, brother. Uh, how's the family? How's uh, how's Tracy? How's Kyle? How are the girls? Doing great. Everything's uh, everything's rolling along. You know, uh, recent engagement of uh, Jordan here a couple months ago. So that's exciting news for us. Uh, got engaged to her longtime uh, boyfriend since tenth grade, uh, Michael Galuli. So wedding in two thousand twenty-five. So getting prepped for that. Uh, Kyle's doing great. You know, he's, he's in Philly working for Lacrosse Unlimited, uh, doing some playing and stuff. But and then Keel is in. Uh, she's in nursing school right now. So everything's going good. Everything's going good. How about you? Everybody, everybody's growing up. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-seven, twenty-five, and twenty-two. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mine's yeah. mine's fifteen. She's yeah. a, a great Grace, a ninth grader, and uh, she she's made really really good progress from eighth grade to ninth grade. She's she's grown up uh, suddenly, which is uh, a huge positive around here. I tell you that much. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. The, the girls are tricky for sure. <laughs> I haven't seen you since uh, San Diego, where you yeah. were part of the uh, Haudenosaunee coaching staff. Uh, what, what what was your major takeaway from from that event? I thought the overall event was fantastic. Um, I've been fortunate to be a part of uh, three world games now, uh, 2006 with, with Team USA and then 18 in, in Israel with uh, the Haudenosaunee and then, and then this past one. Um, I thought overall it was, it was run really, really well. Um, I thought the host schools were, were fantastic. Uh, accommodations were great. Uh, food, housing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I thought the overall jump from 2018 until – 2023 here of lacrosse across the world was just amazing to watch. Um, you know, when we were in Israel, we had a little different setup. So we were able to watch a lot of the games live uh, in Israel of, of the other brackets and other pools. And you could see that there were some teams that were, you know, were getting there, weren't quite there yet. Um, but the five-year the five year gap from 18 to 23, uh, just the improvement of so many teams across the world was just amazing to see. And, you know, we were fortunate again now we have uh, so much TV coverage and everything was on ESPN so we were able to go back to our to our rooms and stuff and, and put on some games and be able to watch different teams play and stuff so it was I thought that was really uh, it was really neat to see just the improvement overall in the world yeah you know the, the moment to me that stands out is is Jamaica playing the Haudenosaunee and that was a quarterfinal game I think you know I, I had spent the day with Jamaica 
after their win over Italy. Um, mm. And or maybe, maybe it was it was Jamaica in the quarters against Canada. I'm sorry. Yeah. And yeah. and and just to see that team uh, advance to the medal round and how special uh, and how unique that was. Bob Nishoni had a great showing this year. Uh, Coach Lars Tiffany, yourself, the whole group, I, I, I thought played uh, just inspired ball. You know, it's, it felt like you had the guys on the field who were just just uh, taxed, you know, physically. You guys what, played six games in a row or something. It was it, six Seven. days. <laughs> yeah. Which was, was, was just insane. And, and you know, I don't know. Like when we grew up, we, we knew that lacrosse was a, a game of the indigenous. It was a Native American game. But the way the Thompsons and that group now have brought that uh, brought that right in front of everybody that we can see, you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. We hear we hear the origins of the game. And, and, and I think everyone's in such a better place because of that. Absolutely. Um, I think it's been a progression, though, Clint, really since since 2014 uh, in Denver, you know, prior to that, when, when Lyle and Miles and Ty were playing for us at Albany from 2010 to 2015, uh, between the five years of the, of the three of them, um, I thought we brought a lot of awareness to the game as to where it did come from and, and the origins and, and, and how important it was to, uh, to the Native Americans and, and, and their culture and you know, I thought that was that was important back then. You know, we did a couple of sports center features, and and uh, we were in the New York Times, and you know, there's a lot of different publications about the boys at that time. Um, but the awareness that they brought to the game was tremendous, and and just again the creativity and how they play, and you know, and our style of play at Albany, you know, matched that. So we were a really good fit for them. Um, you know, but then again, to see it progress from 14 to 18, and then to 23, like you said, I think. Our team did play inspired. I think I think a lot of it uh, had to do with our our just our overall organization, starting from our board all the way down um, in the tryout process. We started a little bit late with our tryout process, but in a way, it turned out to be pretty good because we really were able to dial in the guys who were committed to playing and wanted to be part of the team. Uh, we had a couple different tryouts. We were able to get some good film on our team. Uh, we were able to scrimmage my team at Albany in early January um, as part of our last piece of the tryout. So we had good film. Um, obviously, since COVID, the Zoom, which we're on now, is, is, is something that came about from COVID. So that was a real plus for us, too. Um, the connection that we had from opening uh, day in the sense of our first tryout to when we actually went to San Diego, uh, our communication lines were open the whole time. Uh, I thought Coach Tiffany did an unbelievable job of organizing uh, Zoom calls and organizing our staff with Chris Doctor and Vince Longboat and myself. Um, we were on the same page. We had meetings every couple of weeks. We, uh, you know, we did a lot of discussing, but we did a lot of terminology and a lot of going over our game plan prior to getting together in San Diego. And that was a big difference between 18 and 14 and, and all the years really previous uh, for the Haudenosaunee. So I think again, Rex Lyons and, and Leo Nolan and our guys on the board really did a good job also of supplying us the opportunity to get together um, in different places to have the scrimmage against Albany to, you know, to have that financially backed and have everybody be there. Um, I thought those were really, really positive steps for, for the Haudenosaunee program. The, the way they play the game to me, it's a great reminder of, of the unscripted potential in this game. You know, it feels like in America, we teach kids the sport and it's very, it's like print and block letters. You go here, yeah. you go here, you go here. Very robotic. 
for the Haudenosaunee, it's like they learn it in script and then it becomes calligraphy. It becomes really uh, a flowing fancy game. Uh, you, you've lived it. What's it like to be around that uh, with, with your time with, with, with the Thompson brothers, Miles and Lyle's and Lyle and, and others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've been really, like I said, really fortunate to have just tremendous players throughout my, my, my entire coaching career, you know, from Delaware to Maryland to Albany. Um, but, but those guys really brought a different, a different feel to the game for our program. You know, it really, you know, when you talk about the creativity and the, and the, um, just the, the, the approach that they take every day to, the, to coming to practice where it is important to them to not only practice and, and practice well, um, but also to enjoy playing lacrosse and, and putting a smile on your face. And I think that was a, was a turning point for me really when, when Miles came and Ty came in 2010. Um, we'd had a tough, couple tough years in there. And I was, I was very, I wouldn't say angry, but I was more, uh, you know, emotional about wins and losses and things like that. And they kind of taught me that, listen, if you're, if you're going out and you're playing it for the right purposes and clear mind, uh, that that could be, you know, it, it's okay at the outcome. You just have to accept it and move on. Um, but again, I think their, their style of play and their, and their the creativity side of things, it just opened up a world of possibilities for my team in general. Um, and the, and the, the possibilities of elevating the rest of the players on the team was so important um, we had a lot of really good players around them, but they were made better because these guys really pushed the limits. And I think everybody wanted to try to catch up to that. Um, and, and when you're saying like the, the ideas of we're not a cookie cutter program, we're not a cookie cutter offense. Um, we're, 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 we're very fun in transition. We like to push transition offensively. We don't have a lot of set type plays. We just have a lot of concepts and that played right into their ability to be creative and, and to play, uh, to play freely but there are parameters to all that kind of stuff. You know, they weren't, they weren't just needlessly throwing the ball away. They didn't carelessly shoot the ball behind the back or, or pass the ball behind their backs, you know, just to be fancy. It was all part of just playing the game and playing it in their eyes the right way. Um, and, and in my eyes as well. So that, you know, that influx of that creativity and that, and that kind of spirit to our team really elevated us from, like I said, the start of 2011 all the way through then to where we are now um, with, with our group and, they said I've had, you know, 18 or so different Native Americans have played for me over the past uh, 12 years. These numbers are staggering, Scott. 24th season you're about to start. That's almost a quarter of a century. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it, I'm like, gosh, I'm getting old. Nine not nine league championships, 10 NCAA appearances, the, the, the championship weekend appearance back in 18. And you made the, the tournament every year from 13 to 18. Uh there's a lot there. Did you ever imagine when, when you started as an assistant coach at Delaware after graduating from JHU that, that, uh, that this could, this could be uh, your future? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think I've always dreamt of, of being a coach. And when I was in college, uh, you know, coach Zim and I actually did a lot of stuff together in his office. Uh, you know, I would go in and we would sit down and go over man up plays. Uh, I was always very intrigued uh, on how the game worked and, and, you know, Coach Zim and I are probably polar opposites in the sense of how we we've coached and, and how we how we run our team. Uh, but I did learn a tremendous amount from him uh, in the sense of discipline, valuing the ball, um, you know, and, and, and really, you know, putting in an effort every day, you know, to be to be a national champion. And, 
And obviously we were very fortunate to win a national championship. So you got a feel for that. So, um, but I was always a dreamer too, you know, I was a Met fan. So that was, uh, as you are, <laughs> so you're always dreaming. Always dreaming we, had our, we had our moments, we had our moments. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know so but i've always i've always felt uh i've always felt confident in myself you know and and that i could bring that kind of energy to a team and to a program and i think uh you know the experiences i did get at delaware with coach Schilling law and, and being able to um shows was great you know he really gave me a lot of freedom uh, to run an offense and to put in different things uh to to, to try and fail and to try and succeed so uh, that was awesome. So that, that kind of, you know, worked my way into Maryland and I got to Maryland and uh, again, under coach Dell and coach Sloff just learned so many life lessons really uh, that brought me to Albany. But uh, you know, again, I, I always did kind of see it. Obviously you don't see it that you're going to be that in a sense, have that much success. But uh, again, I think, I think Albany was a great fit for me um, as far as being a New York state guy, being a New York state school, um, New York state didn't have a division one program at the time in the state system. So you know, I thought it was an awesome opportunity for me. And, uh, you know, I was given, given good, uh, you know, good, good uh, opportunity through our athletic director, Dr. McElroy, really to, to flourish. You know, he was, he was great uh, as a great leader too. Yeah. Your success for those who know you, your success is no surprise. You were, you were always uh, an exceptional, exceptional teammate. Uh, and, you know, I have to thank you for that, Scott, staying after practice and shooting on me and, we talk about things in terms of inside finishing and mid-range shots and feeds to the crease. And you're always willing, uh, you're always willing to help and, and, and make your teammates better. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I think that's important when you, when you have, when you're coaching a team um, that everybody on your team has a role, you know, and, and, uh, and understanding, uh, you know, that, that everybody is important. Everybody does count. Um, you know, and, and what you do and, and, and those little things and how you connect with your teammates is, is important. And I think, again, like our, our 87 team, um, you know, was top, top to bottom, a pretty darn good team. Um, but also felt we were a pretty close team at the same time. You know, uh, we were we were we hung out together. We did a lot of things off the field together. And, and, and I think that's important. You know, and I, I try to strive, you know, have my guys strive for that now, you know, to understand uh, it's not just about going out and throwing the ball around. It's a connection that you're making on and off the field. Yeah, you, you, you took over an Albany program for, for two guys who have become two of my better friends, Mark Wimmer and Steve O'Shea, uh, as, as the program has elevated and elevated. And I kind of like look at your schedule last year, Syracuse, Cornell, UMass, Maryland, Yale, and Penn out of conference. And, and, and I, joke with, I, I joke with O'Shea uh, a lot. I said, they're not playing Cobleskill anymore. <laughs> absolutely yeah those guys uh they loved it they had, they had a great time coming to the games and, and just like you uh you know mark and you know i met them through you and through your brother when we were in college uh you know and they came down to games and you know they're two of my best friends now too i do an awful lot with steve uh and, and and mark uh throughout the year all the time and steve and i play golf together quite a bit and and uh women and i go see a lot of musical different things together and uh, different shows and whatnot. So uh, have a great connection with those guys. They're very supportive. Uh, Ocean, they're always good to give uh, some tidbits on, on our team and stuff like that after watching our games. But uh, they thought last year was probably the best lacrosse that's ever been brought to the uh, to the Capital Region, you know, between some of the games that we had and then the PLL stuff in the summertime and then the quarterfinals we had last year also. So uh, Albany's really turned itself into a good lacrosse, lacrosse city. Yeah, it really has, especially uh, late in the spring when the weather turns, April and May. And and I've enjoyed the time up there the last two years covering the PLL opening weekend. And I hope later this month when the PLL 
announces some potential sites. I hope that uh, I would I would expect Albany to be in the mix to to uh, continue to host an event. It's it's been uh, an amazing turnout. I just sense that the Capital Region, the Lacrosse, uh, up into the Adirondacks, down into the Hudson Valley, uh, you know, west towards uh, Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo. I, I just I sense that the area is 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 still booming and still on the upswing. Absolutely. Um, again, like. I mean, we talk to recruits all the time and just talk about the growth of, of Albany lacrosse and our growth, but also the city of Albany and then the capital region. You know, when I first got here in 2000, there was about 12 teams playing high school lacrosse. We have 38 now, you know, uh, so the growth, we've kind of grown with the, with the area, you know, and, and we've, we've, we've garnered a lot of fans and a lot of support from our community. Uh, so it's kind of gone hand in hand, us growing along with, with the community at the same time. Um, again, we've, we've had some tremendous success with, with crowds for the PLL, um, for us in general as well. We've had, uh, you know, we, we do hold the all-time NCAA Division I uh, first-round record, uh, you know, for attendance when we played North Carolina in 2017 in the, in the driving rain. We still had almost 7,000 people. So the support's been unreal. You know, it's been, it's been uh, a lot of fun to be a part of. And, and again, just the growth in general. You know, we do a lot of clinics and I run a club program and there's a couple other programs in the area. Um, but just the, the amount of the amount of kids playing lacrosse now in this in this area is just uh, it's tremendous. Before we turn our attention to this year's team, I do want to point. I mentioned the PLL. You've got a couple alums who have become stars in the league. Uh, Lyle sat out this summer. Uh, do you have any indication of of what the future of his his lacrosse career looks like? You think he'll keep up, keep grinding away both indoor and outdoor uh, and internationally for a couple more years? Well, I'm hoping that he sticks with with uh, with the international game. To be honest with you, I think that's where he has a, a really big impact on the on the game itself. Um, if you if you've been you've, and obviously you've been and you watch him walk around uh, in San Diego or in, in Israel, um, just the just the attraction that he is and, and the magnet that he is to people to come up and talk to him um, for his play and and just just to and, you know in a sense he's a he's a Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan type figure when it comes to that stuff. Um, we have discussed a little bit on, on his future. I'm not really privy to say what he's going to eventually do. Um, you know, I, I know that this past summer was important for him to be with his family and be with his kids, uh, you know, and really have an opportunity to coach them and, and be around. And, you know, of course, you know, he played in, he played in the indoor league in the summertime in the box and people are like, Oh, he's so playing, but it's five minutes from his house. You know, uh, he's there and he's there in 15 minutes uh, playing and the game's over. He's right back home. Um, I think that the schedule of, of the NLL that runs right into the PLL, you're talking 21 weekends of, of NLL and then another, you know, 12 or so in the summertime of, of, of PLL. It does take up a lot of time, you know, and, and uh, for him to do both uh, and then continue to do his foundation and then work with his kids. You know, uh, I, I think he I think he deserved a break, you know, from the game itself and just give himself a chance to, to regroup. And you know, again, hopefully I think for fans, he comes back and plays. But I think he has to you know, ultimately do what's best for him and, and, and what's best for his kids. Blaze Reardon has become a star and mm -hmm. the best goalie on the planet. Did, yeah. what, what, what hints of that did you see when you were recruiting him? And, and you said the first time you saw him, he was playing extra man and then would run back and play in the goal. Yeah. Like like who, who would who would have known? that this large uh, this large player with tremendous hand-eye coordination would ultimately become uh, a legendary goalie, a Hall of Fame caliber goalie. Absolutely. Yeah, Blaze is, uh, is as unique as it gets as far as what he's able to do, you know, on the lacrosse field. 
Um, I, you know, you knew when I first started watching him play, and I saw him play in the, in the summer tournament at Syracuse, he was playing, playing attack. Um, and you could see the wheels turning in his head. He understands the game of lacrosse. He wasn't just a goalie. Um, he was someone who played out of the goal and understood the entire game. Um, and I think that's helped him so much, you know, so much in, in the goal, understanding how the game works, where the ball's going, you know, um, just being able to read plays, what offenses are doing against him. Um, you know, and again, he's, he's just a gifted, he's just a gifted athlete, you know, and, and you don't think of him so much as, as a, as an athlete, you know, when you first look at his appearance, uh, but he is, he's a tremendous athlete. He really is um, just an overall knowledgeable, um, just, just, just a tremendous player in the, in the regard of uh, he knows every aspect and every phase of the game. And he's able to relay all that to his teammates. So again, he's another one of those players who made his teammates around him better. He made his defense better with his, with his vocal, uh, you know, ability to tell them, you know, directing them on the field, uh, his, his ability to make the save, catch the ball and get it up and get it out right away and start our transition. So um, you got to remember, when Blaze, for some reason, he he got overlooked, and I think this is a huge travesty. And, and at, at that time, he did not get All American at all when he was at Albany. Yet he led the country in in, in saves a couple of times. Um, we also faced off at like thirty five percent when Blaze was our goalie, you know. And we went to four straight tournaments, and you know, went to through two uh, two quarterfinal games, you know, under him. So. Um, I think he was very over, he was overlooked in college, you know, and I think that kind of, you know, spurred him a little bit and, and, and really made him work a little bit harder when he got to that next level, uh, you know, when he played in the MLL and then, and then eventually the NLL with Philadelphia. And then, and then now obviously with the world games and the PLL and he's just, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a really confident, confident kid, you know, and, and, and that confidence just emanates throughout the whole program. Yeah, Connor Fields is, a, is another Albany mm-hmm. alum who tore it up. You could argue uh, MVP quality season and what he does on the field to me is just magical. Uh, his contact balance, his ability to the spatial awareness, like he kind of has eyes in the back of his head and he slithers past guys, guys who are trying to kill him. And, you know, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a dynamic player. Uh, Jake Pisano, uh, you're, you're long pole. He played for the yep. Haudenosaunee who's got uh, a, just such a playmaker. He, he, he's uh, kind of the star. I, when I look at your roster for this upcoming season, uh, mm-hmm. how is he doing? How would you evaluate his summer? And, and what you hoping to see from him uh, as you turn the page? Yeah, I, you know, just just a quick note on Connor. I mean, Connor, you know, hockey kid, um, like you said, eyes in the back of his head, just just overall awareness too, uh, and the stick skills, just, just tremendous. Um, but his, you know, again, ability to elevate others, but his ability to create offense, you know, through his yeah. dodging, through his, like you said, his slipperiness, um, his ability to change direction, feel pressure. You know, Zim used to always talk about feeling pressure. Connor's really, really good at feeling pressure, knowing when to turn, change back, knowing when to change direction. Um, you know, and then his just ability to, you know, he's an unbelievable scorer. And then at the same time, he is he's just as good as a passer, you know. Um, so he was he was just a thrill to have on our team, obviously. Um, as far as Jake goes, um, Jake played like that for us the last couple of years, you know. Yeah, no, like, I, I saw it on tape when I was watching you yeah. guys in a league yeah. tournament. He, right. he, 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 he's a banshee on the field, man. That, that, that he is not shortchanged a second. No, not at all. And he, and he plays like that every second he's in practice. And he has since he got here. He's, he's always, again, on the shorter side, you look at him you're like, oh, okay, he's five foot eight. You know, he's really not going to be much. But 
Um, and he, he gives it every day. You know, he gives it every day. He comes out and practices hard. And uh, he's a very strong kid, very athletic in that regard. Um, but his ability to, um, to get to open space when a save or a loose ball happens uh, right now is second to none. Um, you know, everybody in the World Games knew he was going to be breaking out, but he still broke out and got the ball and created fast breaks. Um, his ability to goose the ball in front of him, to get ground balls, to pick off passes. I mean, he is doing everything that you would teach and you would want your defenseman to do one of. He's doing all of them. He's getting in transition. His six goals are unbelievable. He can he can play offense for you. Um, again, he's he's knocking down balls in, in the midair. He's picking off passes. He's picking up ground balls. He's clearing the ball first. And even if he doesn't go over the midfield line, he's part of our clear. So he's doing so many things well, um, you know, right now. And, and again, I think it just this summer, people were like, holy cow, this kid plays at Albany. And, and it was amazing how, people, how many people didn't know that, you know, where he played. And again, we just haven't, we haven't been on the same stage as we were prior to him getting here. So he really hasn't had that, that opportunity to shine. You guys played a really tough schedule, as I mentioned last year. It feels like the America East has gotten better kind of like the yeah. evolution you've added some teams who are very good with Bryant uh, Vermont has, has raised the level of that program. Yeah. There's always yeah. UMBC uh, Binghamton and now Merrimax in the, in the league as well. Uh, Graydon hog is, is uh, comes back. Uh, yeah. and, and you've always talked highly of, of, of his ability. Yeah. What, what, what's the next step for him? Well, I think the next step for Graydon this year is to, is to let, the game come to him a little bit. I think the last couple of years offensively, he's felt a little bit of pressure to be that guy, you know, and, and to make things happen all the time. And I think for him this past fall, he's done a much better job of, of being part of our system and being part of the offense as opposed to being the offense. Um, he, he's, he's a slasher. He's a hard dodger. He plays really hard. Um, he shoots the ball very well. Um, when we've been successful, Graydon's been successful. So it, it does kind of go hand in hand for us. He is a huge part of our offense. Um, but again, I think his, the maturity this year he's showing uh, as a leader uh, for us and our team. Um, and then, and then what, he's, what he's doing as far as just, just his overall production in, in our offense right now. Moving the ball, you know, taking shots when he's supposed to be taking shots, you know, things like that where, he, again, I think, the game has slowed down for him a little bit this year. He had a really good tryout with uh, Team Canada last last year and, and was, a, was an alternate for the team. Um, you know, again, getting drafted in the NLL gave him a lot of confidence as well. So, you know, really looking forward for Graydon to have that that kind of a year where he puts up not necessarily numbers, but is our leader on offense. You, you mentioned your system. Is it as simple in terms of the midfielders? You've got guys who are two ways who can mm -hmm. stay. And then you've got designated offense only. Correct. Yeah, we go. We have a right now. We're running a one-way system in a sense. We have one two-way midfielder, and then we 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 bring on two offensive midfielders. So, and most of those guys are attack, you know, our attackmen uh, who come on and play. Um, and then when we transition back the other way, we bring our pole on, and then we bring a, a defensive midfielder on. Yeah. So we always have one two-way that can stay on the field. And those guys have the that have the you know the the liberty to really if they want to stay on if they feel like they're in good good enough shape or they or they're at the time feel like they can go another defensive run to stay on offense and keep an offense an offensive player on defense and that's kind of our goal is to with that one way guy is to kind of take away and take shots at other teams offensive midfielders and making them have to play transition yeah. defense having them have, and then one of them have to stay and actually play team defense you know in in that set so. 
Um, we've gone in the past with two two-way midfielders. Right now, we just feel like we have too many offensive players that we want to get on the field. And then we also have a couple of defensive midfielders that we want to get on the field as well. So we've kind of just gone to that one-way, one the one-two-way system. Yeah, and, and my guess is that when Jake is pushing and running the field aggressively, he's got to be respected. There's a chance you could pin two offensive players. Uh, absolutely. I mean, he stays – right now we have him – running transition and then staying on offense and playing yeah. offense for us. And he, you know, he sets picks and he knows how to roll. He knows how to, you know, again, he's very, he's very fluid in our offense. So he's, he has, he has the, the green light to do pretty much anything he wants, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, and that's a, that's a real plus. Like I said, he's, he's running transition from the, the, the people thing again, that people have to understand he's not on LSM. He's a close defenseman. So he's, he's behind the goal or right in front of the goal a majority of the time. And he's still able to get out and up and be the first one up the field, you know, for, for a four on three or a five on four, you know, so it's uh it's, it's a really nifty gift that he has to understand how to get to those open spaces and anticipate. And then again, you know, we, we go back to our goalie situation where last year we struggled in the goal. Um, this year going in, you know, at the end of the year, Tommy Heller played really well for us. He played really well in the goal against Vermont, had 19 saves, played well against Bryant, unfortunately losing double overtime. But when you're making saves and then you have that ability to get the ball to uh, someone like a Jake Pacino and get us running, that adds a – it's like Jake Blaze. Again, it adds a whole other element to the offense. And then you have um, – so this year coming back, Jack Van Valkenburg was our starter half of the year last year. He played for our Haudenosaunee team as a backup to, uh, to Warren Hill. And he got a lot of confidence being around those guys and practicing and playing, was able to start a game in the world game. So Jack really came back, unfortunately broke his thumb in the first week of practice in the fall. So didn't play a ton for us this fall, but you can see, you can see the difference. You can see the evolution of him all of a sudden having a lot more confidence. So I think when Jack does come back, we have a freshman goaltender in Landon Whitney from Atlanta, went to Trinity Pauling is very, very good as well. Catches and, and, and his immediate outlet is he's, He's very much like Brett Queener. He's got the same, same personality, same, uh -oh. same intensity, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's awesome. He's, uh, you know, he does a little talking during practice and stuff. It's, it's fun though. He's and he's really good. So it'll be a good competition between them. So I think again, if we can just increase our save percentage and, and saves in a game, I think we're 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 a step ahead of where we were, you know, last year. Does a little talking during practice. I wonder what that's like. You know, I, look, if it takes talking to to make practice game like, then I'm all in favor of it. Uh, having some experience in that department myself. Hey, who is uh, Silas Richmond, uh, goal scorer from British Columbia last year? Yes, sir. Uh, sophomore um, Silas is was our goal scorer last year, but has come back with a completely different game this year. Uh, we really worked on him last year. Um, you know, goal scorers struggle sometimes if they don't get that early goal, you know, and, and they get frustrated when they don't score in the first quarter. So Silas had had that kind of attitude last year, and we, we really worked on him all, all last year on becoming a more complete player, uh, carrying the ball, riding, you know, ground balls. So he's really evolved over the past summer going this fall as not just a shooter for us, but now he is carrying the ball very well. He's feeding the ball outstanding, um, you know, and he's, and he's riding like he's never rode before. So, you know, he's, he's really elevated his game and he can still score. So he's going to bring a lot more to the table for us this year. Um, we had a, an attackman uh, freshman, his name's Ryan Doherty 
Um, he's a left-handed kid out of New Hampshire. Um, it's kind of funny. I have a, a Connor Fields kind of clone, and I have a Brett Queener kind of clone. Uh, Ryan is very much like Connor Fields, um, lefty hockey player, um, same stature, six foot, six foot, one sixty, you know, pounds, uh, just like Connor when he came in as a freshman. And, uh, and he's been lighting the goal up all fall. So uh, I'm really excited about this team, I'm really excited about the, uh, our prospects of, of getting back to the tournament. You know, we haven't been there since 18, so we're kind of chomping at the bit. Again, last year losing in the, in the finals and double overtime hurt, um, but also gave us a little bit more incentive for this year, especially for our fifth-year seniors and, and Jake and, and Great Dog and a couple of guys. That's a tough way to end the season I watched. And, uh, yeah. man, that, that was rough. Hey, two, quick two more. I'm doing a little piece on freshmen, uh, freshmen jumping from high school to college and the challenges that they face in terms of speed of the game and schematics, being coachable uh, on and off the field, whether it's yeah. on the lacrosse field, in the classroom, uh, and, and then understanding the commitment in terms of weights, film, recovery, sleep, nutrition. What, what do you see as uh, jumping, jumping out at you. I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion, Scott, that sometimes club doesn't really prepare kids for the college experience. Club is just games. College yeah. is a lot more than just games. Yeah, absolutely. Club is, club is just, uh, you know, organized chaos in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, it, you know, we came back to school uh, August 21st and we had our first practice and our first weight, you know, first weight day on August 21st. So, you know, for, for a high school kid coming in, the first thing we tell them is that, guys, this is a lot longer of a year than you're used to. Even though you might have played another sport in high school, this and that. But this is, this is a, you know, a concerted effort from August 21st until hopefully the end of May, you know, where you're going to have to put in effort in the classroom, on the practice field, in the weight room, on the film board. Um, you know, in the film room and, 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 and then really socially is another piece where again, freshmen have to start to learn, you know, what they can and can't do, you know, when they're off the field. So um, it, it is a huge adjustment, you know, and I think when you see a lot of freshmen, you'll see a lot of ups and downs. You see them have a great, a great peak, you know, for a couple of days and then all of a sudden they'll go into a Valley for two or three practices. And, you know, so handling that frustration when a kid seems to not be doing as well as he'd like to do, um, I think as a coach, those are the things that you have to notice earlier than later to try to nip that in the bud and, and really, you know, and really pump the kid up, pump his tires a little bit, you know, empower him to be like, okay, I can do this, you know, and, and uh, especially the weight thing, you know, cause you don't see instant results when you're in the weight room as a freshman, you know, it really, it really takes almost a two year process, you know, unless the kid comes in and there are some who come in have been training for a couple of years, but for the most part, they're all, you know, pretty thin and, 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 you know, and, and need to gain 15 to 20 pounds over the course of the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, telling a kid, Hey, it's going to come, it's going to come, you know, you just got to keep working. You got to, you know, do some protein shakes, all that kind of good stuff, eat the right way. You got to sleep the right way. You know, I don't think enough kids understand the importance of sleep, uh, the importance of eating correctly. Um, you know, and I think some of the guys who you see that end up struggling, you know, are those guys who don't take those things, you know, at, at a serious level. So um, we talk about those types of things, you know, quite a bit with our group. And, and uh, again, hopefully they're, they're listening. Last thing, schedule. I, I mentioned who you played last year. I mean, you, you played uh, an incredible schedule last year. A lot of the games were at home, too, as you, as you said. You, you brought yeah. some incredible ball to the, the folks in the Capital Region. What can you tell us at this stage in terms of your non-league schedule? Uh, we open with Colgate. Um, we go Colgate, Drexel, N, UMass, 
Hobart, uh, Virginia, and then we have Yale uh, later in the season. So our three wow. our three marquee games are Yale, Yale, Penn, and, and uh, Virginia. So, um, you know, obviously it was, it was funny with Lars. You know, we were talking in San Diego, and he happened to mention he had a game available. And I, so I, I held at him just about every day until he said yes. So it was, uh, it was good. But I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's uh, We've only played Virginia once in my time. It was in the 2005 first round. Uh, so we've never, you know, our team's never really been down that way. And it, and it gives us a different look than, uh, than, than Maryland, obviously Syracuse, uh, Syracuse, unfortunately didn't work out, but I, I talked with Gary the other day and we're going to work hard to get, get that back on the schedule next year. So, um, but yeah, we, it's a, it's a challenging schedule uh, again, you know, again, I think there's, you know, you, you, you can't take anybody for granted or lightly, you know, in division one right now, I think everybody has really good athletes and, uh, some have more than others and some have less, but, you know, even when the teams have less, uh, you know, schemes and, and uh, you know, goalies, you know, there's a lot of things that can turn a game. So you have to be ready for everybody. Looking for your 11th NCAA appearance, uh, mm-hmm. taking home that America East title. He's the pride of Yorktown, the king of Yorktown. Uh, Clark likes to claim that <laughs> crown, but, but it's, it's not even close. Uh, Scotty Marr. I don't know. If there's another town that gets uh, gets more pub on a PLL broadcast or NCAA broadcast than we I know, do. And he doesn't even live there anymore. <laughs> I love it though, Scott. Thank it. you. Great, great to see you. Best to best to. Congratulations on your daughter, by the way. Uh, yeah, best to the you. family. Yeah. And, and all the guys. Look forward to uh, seeing you once the spring gets gets uh, rolling in February and March. Absolutely, Q. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Take care, Scott. All right, see you, Quint. Thanks, brother. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com. And we'll see you next week.